Ephesians 4, 11, 11 through 16. Just hold on there. I want to address you for a moment. This is the first Sunday in 2016. <clears throat> As we step into 2016, the Lord is calling us to be the body of Christ. So in preparation for the launch of our house gatherings, I'm going to set before you a vision of what it really means to be the body of Christ. And I'm going to challenge the popular ideas of church commitment and stretch your thinking so that you pursue your calling to build up the body of Christ. So I want you to think this morning as I share with you what the Lord's put on my heart beginning this Sunday and for the next several weeks. I want you to think in terms of your commitment to the body of Christ. And what does that really mean to you personally? What's going on in your life that you can say really is the outworking of your commitment, not just to Jesus, but specifically to His body, to the body of Christ? With that in mind, I'd like to read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through verse 16. The Apostle Paul writes, and the Lord gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunningness, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Now that's going to be our, our foundational scripture over the next several weeks. As I introduce this new topic, which I'm just simply calling building up the body of Christ. And today, I want to just bring a simple beginning focus to you that I'm calling being one with Jesus. Every Christian believes that they're one with Jesus. That's that happens when you get saved, is you, you experience that oneness with Jesus. But what does it really mean to be one with Jesus? And what I want to first challenge you, and I mean this as a challenge because <clears throat> I'm not sure we all completely agree with this statement. And what I want to do is, from the Word, challenge you to see the scriptural uh, premise for this statement. And that is that being one with Jesus is being one with His body. That you really can't effectively function as one with Jesus without effectively being one with His body. And to even, even put this <clears throat> before you in a little bit more of a challenge, what do you think about the idea that your oneness with Jesus is measured in your oneness with His body? That really the place where we see how one with Jesus we are. Now I'm talking about our function in our life, what we do from Sunday to Sunday and how our lives go. 
Our oneness with Jesus is seen and manifested through our oneness in his body. Now, I want you to think about that thought. And I, I'm not asking you to just accept that right from the pulpit, as I say, but I want you to think about it. And I want you to hold that before you as I share what I want to share with you today. Is that if you are going to be one with Jesus, you have to be one with his body. And if there's going to be a problem with your being one with the body of Christ and how you integrate and function and flow with the body of Christ is, is going to affect your relationship with Jesus. If you um, <clears throat> have difficult time uh, really flowing and functioning in the body of Christ and finding your place in the body of Christ, my suggestion to you is that while you're saved and Jesus is Lord of your life, all that you can be as a believer is hung up, held back. It's retarded. It's, 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 uh, it's reduced. And it's reduced, retarded, and held back by your relationship with the church, with the body of Christ. The term church, when I use the term church, I'm talking about the body of Christ. This is a house. This fellowship is a house. Even though we are few this morning, and there's many of us that are not here today, we still constitute and represent this house. Faith Christian Church is a house of faith. It is a house inhabited by the Lord. It's not 303 North Myrtle Avenue. It's you and I gathering together. And being together, not only in the presence and in the Spirit of the Lord, but in His purpose. That's when the church is in session. So in the scriptures that I read to you, I want you to, I want you to with me see the, the purpose, the function, the edification that is describing the church, the body of Christ. Those are the things that make a gathering of believers the body of Christ. So being one with Jesus is being one with his body. Let's just, let's just, um, Let's nail down that thought a little bit, shall we? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that, that chapter that deals with the gifts of the Spirit. Between verses 12 and verse 14, he says something about the body of Christ that I want you to understand because the gifts of the Spirit, our ministry, our service for God, the Bible sees it all taking place within this framework called the body of Christ, the living church. Listen to how Paul writes about it. For just as the human body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Notice that phrase. When you were born again, the Holy Spirit entered your life. Now we're not talking about Water baptism, as much as we're talking about the baptism that the Holy Spirit performs in the life of a born-again Christian. When you are saved and born again, a spiritual baptism or an immersion takes place. That physical representation that's signified um, through the, the body being immersed in water and brought back out again. We bring you out just because you can't breathe under there forever. So we bring you out. Um, but the fact is, you're never really brought out. You are immersed, and the Bible says here, you are immersed into the body of Christ. 
Now, we are immersed into Jesus, but Paul expands on the idea of being baptized into Jesus by saying you're baptized into the body of Christ. So he says in verse 14, 1 Corinthians 12, for by one spirit or in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We were all made to drink of the one spirit for in fact, <clears throat> the body is not a single member, but many. Now, there is a kind of a divine tension or a balance between the idea that, that my salvation and my walk with the Lord is between me and Jesus. In other words, you didn't save me, the Lord saved me, and I don't have to go through you to get to God. In fact, I don't have to go through a priest. I, don't have to, I can go directly to the Lord myself. He lives within me. That is a truth on one side of the Christian equation. But on the other side is the idea of the community of God, where we are sewn together and blended together and harmonizing together and working together. And the Bible says the body is not one member but many brought together in a commitment that God has called them to. They recognize that commitment, and they accept it, and they're functioning in it. That is the picture of what a church really is. <coughs> it is people in whom Jesus dwells. The Holy Spirit has baptized them into the body, and the body is not a single member, but many. So, if I were a Christian that was not committed to church, not committed to a body of believers somewhere, just out there on my own, um, uh, sitting under the ministry of pastor sheets down by the church at the Springs on Sunday morning in front of the television set, I could fool or kid myself all I want to and say that I am, I am the body of Christ at that address wherever I'm at in my house. But the reality is, the Bible says, the body is not a single member, but many. The body of Christ is not existent until we come together with one another. And <clears throat> that, pardon the phrase, magic, and we know it's not magic, but that living fellowship kicks in and takes place. So we are the body of Christ because we are many baptized by one spirit into this multi-membered body. So the first thing I want you to think about. God sees and he speaks to and addresses through the Bible Christians as functioning members of the body of Christ. In fact, everything written in the New Testament is written to a collective group of believers, not to solitary individuals. While there is wisdom for every individual, it's presented to you in the context and in the understanding that you are a functioning member in the body of Christ. So it's for me because I am a member of the body. So the epistles, the scriptures, God speaks to us through the New Testament as a collective body of people. And if you're not certain about that, let me point out to you that chapter 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, where there is what we call the seven messages to the seven churches of Asia. It begins with a message to the church of Ephesus, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, or to the minister at the church of Ephesus. And then he speaks to the entire body of the church of Ephesus. I know your works. I know what you do. I know how you conduct yourself. And 
this is what I like about what's going on, and this is what I'd like to see changed. And he deals with Ephesus. Then he goes on and deals with the others, Pergamon, Thyatira, and Philadelphia, and Smyrna, and so on and so on. The seven messages from the book of Revelation are written not to individuals. It's not the, thus says the Lord to Terry, or thus says the Lord to, to Antonio, or, or, or to um, uh, Brandon and Denise, but thus says the Lord to the church. Do you get that? To the seven churches that are in Asia, the book of Revelation is spoken. And by extension, to us as the church in clear water. Another thing I want you to recognize, and when you get time, go home and check it out in the Bible. All those epistles in the New Testament, they're all written to churches. The opening phrase in all of them is, to the church at Corinth, to the church at Thessalonica, to the churches of Galatia. And the few that are not written to churches are written to pastors of churches. To Timothy, ordain the first bishop or the pastor of the church at Ephesus. To Titus, again, a pastoral epistle. So when God spoke to the New Testament believer, the follower of Jesus Christ, he spoke to the followers of Christ with the assumption that they were part of a collection of believers committed together to work together, fellowship together, grow together, learn together, called the body of Christ. And though each of us individually received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that baptism makes us one. One spirit that dwells in all of us is the exact same spirit making us one. What are we doing with that unity? that we have been given that tremendous power of unity. Think of it as electricity that enters a house. That electricity comes into the service of a house. It flows into the service panel of that house and then is distributed out to all the different facilities of that house that need power. But it's the exact same power that's in one side of the house lighting a light that's working in the other side of the house keeping the refrigerator cool or heating up the, the oven or making the air conditioning work, the television. All of it, same power, comes in, and they're all one. They all work together to create a living environment for the people of that house to live in. So he says, when you receive the Spirit, you are not just filled with the Spirit, but you are instantly made one with a house. So, my point is that believers that don't function, your room might be dark, your refrigerator, the food may be spoiled, your AC, have you ever tried, you know when we have the hurricanes that come through, knock out the AC for about three or four days. It's uncomfortable in the month of August to live here in Florida after the hurricane has gone through and it's just hot and muggy. The point is, that we are baptized into the body of Christ. The messages to the churches, the epistles. And when you read the specific exhortations to the believers, they're written in the context of the church, the body of believers. Let me say to you that the entire New Testament addresses Christians within churches or pastors. And there is no New Testament writing 
that is written to Christians living independently outside the body. And yet, there are probably as many, maybe even more, people who have asked Jesus Christ in their heart who are functionally cut off from the body of Christ. They do not participate in fellowship. Many of them may go to or, quote, attend church, but they have no function. They don't do anything. They just go to a service, and so they have a once in a week, kind of like hitting the drive through But their life is not affected by their commitment to the body of Christ. And the body of Christ and what God is wanting to do in the body does not find its way into their life. Their life goes on the same. So the, the body of Christ, the church may be involved in something, moving out, doing something this way, but many of the members that, quote, go to or attend that church, their life is going in that direction and there's no sinking going on. Whatever the church is doing, it's not affecting their life. Their life is just looping along on some, some loop that they're operating on, and it's not affected. But they're members, quote, of that church, and they're going to that church. Do you get the picture of what I'm saying? That is the modern concept of Christianity. It's called church going, attending church. And we feel that it is sufficient if you pick a church that believes the right things. If you go to a church that doctrinally believes Jesus died for your sins, rose from the dead, and so forth, then you are, that's all that's required as a Christian. But the Bible presents the call of every Christian as a much higher dedication. If you are committed to Jesus, then you are committed to be a functioning member of the body of Christ. That's the call of God for every believer. Can you say praise the Lord? So it's self-evident. The body is not in session until multiple members joined in unison are operating together in the Spirit of the Lord. That is what makes the church the church. In fact, it could be said in one way or another that, that if Jesus were to comment on our church services, it would be interesting, what would he say? Was the church in session? Did the church show up at the church? There were people there, but did the church ever happen? Did it ever get off the ground? Did the Lord speak? Did we hear? And probably more importantly, and probably more to the point of where I'm going with the teaching today and for the next several weeks is, once we walked out the door, did the Lord walk out in his body? Did we stay together as the body of Christ? Until the next Sunday, what are we doing that says the Burchard House or the Champlain House or, or your home or your life is functioning as the body of Christ? Or is church just something we go to? It's really getting kind of quiet in this Presbyterian house this morning. Hallelujah. Um, well, when you consider that, I want you to consider the fact that we are called to gather together with Jesus. And when we leave, quote, the gathering, we are called to continue and to stay functioning as the body of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Now, society. 
society has reduced functioning in the body of Christ to going to church. And going to church for most Christians, and I'm talking about real Christians who are, who've received Jesus, born again, believe the Bible, have some kind of occasional communion with Him, have a living faith in their heart, no matter how inactive they may be in, quote, we, in what we call a walk with the Lord, everyone who heaven says their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Most of those written in the Lamb's Book of Life attend church or go to church, but they're not being the church. And, and let me say this. Most Christians whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life do not personally walk through their days feeling the responsibility to build up the body of Christ. They see church as the responsibility of the clergy, the leadership. The responsibility of the church to build up the church is the responsibility of the leadership so that they really say within themselves, well, I go and I teach, a, you know, I, I, I help in the nursery. And that's not to minimize that. Or we, I play guitar in the, the uh, worship team. Or, or I just go. Or I, uh, you know, um, or I just go there and, and I pay my tithes. And I, so I go to that church. But throughout the week on a day-to-day -day basis, what are we doing to build up the body of Christ? Is it even on your radar? In your mind, do you think, how is the health and the life of my church, not the church in Ohio or the church in Africa, or the, you know, maybe exciting to get on Facebook and see what the church over here and over there is doing, but what matters in your life is where you're planted. The church that you're in, that's what counts. Whatever controversy is going on in such and such church or ministry, why waste your time on YouTube and Facebook on it? We have, our time is precious and valuable. Are we giving our attention and energies to our house? Starting to wake some people up now, aren't I? Praise the Lord. What about our house? You see, the Lord is looking at you and I, and He's He's saying, I spoke to you in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. The whole body joined and held together. See, I'm not joined and held together with, with Brother Billy Bob in Arkansas. He may be saved by the same Holy Spirit as me, and there is a kind of oneness, but we're like distant cousins. But I am joined together with John and Barbara. I am joined together with Pat. I am joined together... Uh, with Seth and Melissa. I, I'm joined together with Tanya and with Caitlin. You see, those are my connections in the body of Christ. That's who I'm joined with. And so the Lord is saying, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What am I doing to build up that my joint between, between Tanya and me? Or, or my joint, uh, my connection, my oneness um, between uh, Ponce and Diane and myself? 
Those are the connections that God has given us. I'm challenging you beginning this morning and for the next several weeks to stretch, let us collectively stretch our comprehension of what it means to be part of the body of Christ and specifically this body. And in 2016, I believe the Lord is calling us to build up the body of Christ, to be the body of Christ with one another, that, that I can sit in my house and read my devotionals and pray and say that my walk with the Lord is such and so. I can gauge or evaluate it. But when, the, when heaven looks at me and looks at my connection with Ponce and Diane, for example, or with Jesse, or, or with Glenn Hahn, what is happening in those relationships? Are those joints supplying strength that are building the body? Or is it true that the only thing we have in common is that we kind of like the teaching here, whatever, and so we, this is our place and we share, a, we eat at the same restaurant. I like to go, I don't know about you, but I like to go to Golden Corral. Not much in the way of ambiance. It's not what you would necessarily call fine dining. You're not going to find any linen uh, or, or silverware. Uh, but there's just a lot of food. A lot of food. And there's a big variety. Big, big variety. And then, of course, to top it off, there's always a big tray of bacon. And I don't care what you're eating, seafood, potatoes, steak, Mexican food. You can always just pile bacon on top of it. To me, that's my idea. That's eating, man. Praise the Lord. But that's just where I go to. I don't have any connection with those guys sitting at the tables around me eating. We just like to eat at the same place. I might meet them out in public and go, and go oh, do you eat at Golden Crown? Yes. Oh, I love that place. Me too. That is not fellowship. That's not edification. That's not building up. That, there's no unity there. Functionally, that's not a church. And by the same token, a lot of, quote, our churches, we enjoy the same level of entertainment that we get when we come to church. We, we like the same jokes and the same message and the same music and, you know, the different things. And there's, there may be, uh, not to downplay it, we like the same spiritual stuff that goes on. But do we really have anything happening between us that, that we can say the Lord is really working in our lives together. You get what I'm saying? So, we were all baptized into one body, and we are the, the body of Christ. So when we gather with Jesus, we're called to gather together and to be one together. As I said, society's reduced the idea of church to going to church. But what I want to do is I want to lift it back up to what, what the Bible teaches, which is when you're saved, you are, you are brought into the body of Christ. Um, so Ephesians chapter 4, our, our scripture text, clearly describes Christianity as a body of accountability and function and of growth together. Those are the kind of activities that should be going on. Accountability, function. What is my function? Why am I here? 
and growth. Am I growing? Are we growing together? And I want to suggest to you that growth happens as we interact together. There's very little in the way of Christian growth that actually happens independent from fellowship with one another. Believe me, you do not grow isolated. Most Christians grow the more they interact with one another, the more growth is produced. Um, I want to just uh, take the remaining few minutes and, po- and, and point out to you the three main things that that scripture in Ephesians that I read to you describes as the function of the body of Christ. The first is to develop purpose and function. That is, that is the first purpose of being the body of Christ is for you and I to experience our purpose in God and to enter that purpose and to function in that purpose together. And that's what he meant when he said that the the Lord gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the people for the work of the ministry. So where is the responsibility for the work of the ministry? Is it on the pastor? Well, to a certain extent it is. The part of the pastor is sitting on me. But the work of the ministry is not all the part of the pastor. The Bible says the job of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher is to equip you for you to do the work of the ministry. Whatever the ministry is, it's what Jesus left us. It is to take the gospel into all the world, to make disciples of every nation, beginning here in our own backyard. That is the work of the ministry. And the Bible says that is your responsibility. And those that are called into the ministry as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are there to help develop you so that you perform the work of the ministry. So the the body of Christ, the church, first of all, is a place where you develop, you discover and develop your purpose, and you begin to function in that purpose. How much of that is actually going on? Some of us have probably been here in this fellowship for years and are no more closer to understanding what your specific calling and ministry and function is than when you were when you first walked through these doors. Now, I'm not saying that as an indictment on you. It's an indictment on me and on all of us. That should be going on. We we should be discovering what is my function in the body of Christ. And could I say to you, maybe some of the unhappiness or lack of fulfillment or strife that's been going on in your life over the years is happening because there's a giant void. Maybe you're not focusing your energies and time on fulfilling your function in the body of Christ. And so because of it, vast areas of your life don't have the blessing and the joy and the fulfillment in them that is promised if we put the kingdom first. We talk about it all the time. Put first the kingdom and all these things will be added. But can you? are you really putting first the kingdom if you're really not serving in the body of Christ? If you're not doing what God has specifically gifted you to do? If you're not seeking, what is that? And how do I find that integrated with my brothers and sisters in Christ 
then are you really putting the kingdom of God first? Is the kingdom of God being put first really a matter of just putting Jesus, the name of Jesus at the end of your prayer? If I just say Jesus, then that's putting the kingdom of God first. Lord, I need food in Jesus' name. Father, I want money in Jesus' name. Is that putting the kingdom first? Is it because you're going to Jesus and asking Him, Lord, straighten out my marriage in Jesus' name? That's putting the kingdom first? Is it putting the kingdom first, finding out what is the kingdom? What is the government of the kingdom? How is it arranged? And I am a functioning part. Am I, do I even know what that part is? Am I pursuing it? Am I, am I trying to find out? Am I living it? Or have, have I completely been oblivious to that notion and I'm just going to church? And, and so you see the difference. There's a whole world of what it means to be the body of Christ that, that should be opening up to us. Um, so at any rate, purpose and function. It's the first thing that the Bible talks about here in this text when it talks about being in the body of Christ. The second is experiencing edification. Everyone say edification. edification. Now you're, you're right. Edification means happy. Being happy, being up, being strengthened, edification. But really the word edification comes from the Greek word that we translate into English as edifice. Chris is an architect. So he painstakingly sits down and he can't just draw a picture. Nobody's going to give, pay him or pay his company tens of thousands of dollars to draw architectural. I'm, I'm probably selling you short. It's probably more than that. <laughs> Depending on the edifice, nobody's going to pay him money and say, draw, draw me a building. I need, I need to build a new building for my company. And he's not going to sit down there and just draw a little drawing of a building on a piece of paper. Well, there's the building. That's what it looks like. That's a, that's a picture. You can't build that. He sits down from the foundation to the plumbing, the electrical, everything. I used to work construction when I was a kid. I know what is involved in building buildings. And he has to sit down and draw out every single aspect of building that edifice and what makes it a, a picture that workers can go out and actually assemble this thing and build it and it'll stand and it'll be inhabited. Um, that is what the word edification means. It means to build up a house and it's a lot more detailed than drawing a picture of a house. We're not edified just because a preacher gets up once a week and draws a general picture of Jesus or a general picture of the Christian life. We go, whoo, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I feel better already and whoop, out we go. The, out the door we go into a new week. Come dragging in the next week like we're not even saved. What happened? The house didn't last long. You see, God's idea of the body of Christ is vibrant, it's structurally sound, it's building, it involves a lot, it, it takes a lot of energy, but it offers a lot. A lot of energy, a lot of upbuilding. So we should be experiencing building. It says that, that he gave those ministries for the building or the edifying of the body of Christ. The third thing that happens in the body of Christ and by the way, before we move on, let me just share with you Ephesians chapter 2, 21 through 22, concerning building. In him, Paul says, in him, the whole building, exact same word, describing the body of Christ, the whole building or edifice 
being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Holy Spirit. Wow. So there it is. There it is. Paul just said what I've been running around up here trying to say. He just, boom. You are being built together as a dwelling place of God through the Spirit. Finally, the third thing that should be going on in the body of Christ is to develop unity of faith and knowledge. Till we all come to the unity of faith and knowledge. That we attain the unity of the faith and the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. So the church is a place where we should be learning truth and applied faith. Learning and applying our faith together, learning truth, safe from the delusions, safe from the erroneous teachings and the false teachings that are out there in the world. And by the way, are there churches that people go into and learn false doctrine? Of course. They're unhealthy, they're broken. The enemy has walked in, he's gotten a hold of the apparatus of the body of Christ, he's messed with it introduced false teaching and there are Christians sitting there being wired wrongly. So not all teaching is right. It's assumed that we're teaching and discovering the truth together. But the point here is that church is not a place where you just get sermonized once a week, like being simonized. Remember when they'd simonize a car? You wax your car and, and uh, you know, it looks good for a while. Uh, church isn't where you just come in and get polished once in a while or on a weekly basis. It's where we are growing in the knowledge of God and specifically, functionally, the knowledge of God that helps you overcome the lies and the distortions of the enemy out there on a daily basis and win those who are in darkness. We should be learning how to connect with those who are blind and in darkness. How to let our light shine effectively and powerfully. Those are things that all of us ought to be learning together. I've always felt, while I love preaching and edifying and building up people, I do, I truly do love it. Um, I always leave here on a Sunday really happy when I know that people have been lifted up in the Lord and, and they're seeing Jesus. But I have to confess that there's always been a part of me that just, I wonder what am I really, what good am I really doing or are we doing um, if the people of our church are not maturing and growing in the knowledge of God so that they're advancing spiritually so they can keep themselves built up and to build up other people. Are we coming, are we coming to a unity of the knowledge of the Son of God? So the, the, the church is not just all upbuilding and lifting, you know, a facelift. The, the church, the body of Christ should be a place where our minds are being changed. When is the last time your thought patterns, what, what makes you behave the way you do month in and month out, year in and year? Some of you guys in your lives have been in the same pattern of doing things, the same way of thinking, the same way of approaching problems, the same way of handling your, the affairs of your life. You've been doing that for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years and more, have not challenged your methods, have not challenged the way you do things. 
you haven't challenged your worldview, you haven't, you haven't had the way you see things challenged, you just keep battering the same door, trying to get it to open, trying to get things to change. And a lot of Christians are like that, and they just use more Jesus. Oh, if I just say, you know, put more Jesus, more faith on it. But have you ever thought you're not growing in the knowledge of God? Your ideas are not being replaced by better ways of seeing things or more accurate view of the truth. You're not being stretched. And they say that, that for the most part in our society, once people round the corner at about 19, 20, 21 years old, they stop growing. They stop changing. They stop truly learning. They may collect facts but they don't really grow in terms of the way they really operate as a person. Are, are you seeing what I'm trying to get at here? Um, so we all love to walk around and say, I want, we need change. We want the whole world to change. We want change, but we don't like changing ourselves. And changing is growing and learning. That should be happening in church. We should be growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? amen. Finally, what, what all this results in is the Bible says we attain to the mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We grow into Jesus Christ. The whole purpose of the body of Christ is that we individually become mature and Christ-like in our character. Are you maturing and becoming Christ-like in your character? Are you becoming more Christ-like today than you were a year ago, five years ago, five months ago? Is there something going on in your life where you really are going from glory to glory? Or are you just going around the mountain shouting glory? Do you see what I'm saying? We have turned church into a candy shop. You just run in you know, eat your sweets and everything, and go home. We shout glory, but the Bible says we should be transformed from glory to glory. And the, and the original Greek, Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we should be transformed from one level of glory to the next level of glory. It is a progressive, maturing process. So that is what should be happening in the body of Christ. And I'd like you to challenge yourself to personally choose to fulfill your call as a Christian functioning in the body of Christ this year, rather than just being a churchgoer. So I love, I go to Faith Christian Church, I really like it there, praise the Lord. Um, now, let me just throw out a couple practical things, and, and I'm going to close by sharing a little bit about our house gatherings and how all this ties in. First of all, the body of Christ is, is not a place where you become lobotomized and robotized. We get that from the word robot. It's not a place where you come in and you, you sacrifice your will, you lose your individuality, you surrender your will. No, no, not at all. It is a place, rather, where spirit Filled, saved, spirit-filled people come in and use their wills together to serve the Lord. You're not giving up your will, losing your will. You are yielding your will to Jesus in a fellowship with one another. Now, that last part's where most of you have trouble. 
You don't mind using your will for Jesus. You just don't like it when he involves other people. I don't have problems with my will until my will involves your will. When your will and my will got to work together, what do we find out? Let's be honest. We find out we have different styles. We have, you know, we are diverse. We are diverse as people. It's unfortunate, but most churches have become places where people who can't stand the diversity group together because they all have similarities. It's really sad that way. It's kind of the low road, if you will. But really, the, 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 the indication of a strong church is where Jesus Christ is truly being pursued by all the people and they are quite diverse in their styles and in their, in their different ways of doing things, but they have found those joints in God. They are coming together in their knowledge of Jesus Christ. And what do you learn? You know, the world today loves to talk about tolerance. They love to talk about... But the worldly idea of tolerance is to get out a, a anvil and a hammer and smash the differences out of everybody till we've flattened everyone into a giant, morphed everyone into a pancake of similarity. We don't permit, we don't permit people to talk differently. We don't permit them to think differently. We, we achieve unity through uniformity, through forced uniformity. That's not the body of Christ. The body of Christ doesn't create unity out of uniformity. It creates unity because we all come together with our will and we surrender before the altar of the Lord our individual tastes in order to work together for a higher, more noble cause and purpose. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. That is the unity of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So then if, if you agree with that statement, then let's do something about the idea that church is a social club, that people should come to churches and involve themselves in churches because it has the style that I like. The problem with church as a social club where people are organized around common natural tastes and preferences is that the minute the style changes, they're gone. How many Christians, tens and hundreds of thousands, are not, quote, involved in church anymore? And by the way, let me add to that. I know a lot of believers who got saved were, quote, what we call on fire for God, serving the Lord in the ministry, who have now said, I know I can think of many of them today, who have said, I found a huge mega church where I can hide. I can go in, it's like a theater, got a big loud band, lots of lights, a big stage, and the pastor gets up and he just, he slams home a beautifully crafted 20, 25 minute message on life that, that I'm able to get something out of it. I don't have to deal with people. I just, you know, I, walk, I park my car, I go in, I go out, hallelujah, it's me and Jesus. The devil is destroying the body of Christ because Christians have become self-focused. We have lost, we have lost the, the truth that being saved 
is being planted in the body of Christ. It's not just me and Jesus. That to be one with Jesus is to be one with the body of Christ. And the Lord has called us to love together Him and to serve Him together. Can you say amen? Uh, remember, remember that verse 16 in our text. The whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. You may not like the joint that God's equipped, but you need to hold together with that joint. How are you going to learn to overcome when, when you withdraw because you don't like something? You don't like that joint. How are you going to hold your marriage together? How have you held your marriage together over the years? You mean to tell me your husband and wife had never done anything that you didn't, that you disliked? Of course. Have you ever been in a position in your marriage where you, you hit the proverbial wall? I don't see how we can progress any further. We have come to the end of our vision. I don't see how we could go forward any longer. Now, sadly, there are certain circumstances in life where that really does happen. But most of the time, it's just because we don't really see how we can cooperate anymore. But God is the way maker. But it does take a surrendered will, doesn't it? It, it takes a will that says, I'm willing to reach out. I can get a hold of him when I can't get a hold of you. When I can't figure out how to be one with you, I can be one with him, willing to be one with you. If Brandon and I, all of a sudden, we just don't see, we just, every time we get together, it's, you know, he zigs when I zag. You know, we're like those two magnets that we got the wrong ends facing each other and we're just polarizing. We're having a hard time coming together. But the Lord says, Nick, Brandon, look to me, but hold hands. Look to me, but hold hands with each other, and I will bring you together. See, what we do is we say, that Brandon, that Nick, he's just, you know. <laughs> we give up on the joint, and that's why the, there's very few joints in the body of Christ. By the way, it, and because there's very few joints in the body of Christ, our other relationships in life are not being salvaged when they're being threatened. They're falling apart. People don't know how to get along. They don't know how to get along with the world around them. And so we need to recapture the structure, the house, the blueprint of the house where God says, you find your place in that house and I will supply the strength. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm going to close by talking about our house gatherings. On February the 8th, we are going to begin three house gatherings, one in the north, one in the central, and one in the south part of Pinellas County. And we have three great families that have opened up their homes. Our house gatherings are going to take place on the second and the fourth Monday night of every month. We decided that we would... Um, make this something that was not oppressively hard to do. We figured that everybody could, could twice a month put on their calendar to gather together with the brethren. This is so important. The house gathering is where we can work out what we don't have the time 
or the proper context to do here on a Sunday morning. This is a, the Sunday morning is an in-gathering for fellowship, for celebration, for edification, and to get a word that will help guide us and, and, and help build us up. But the, the, the kind of work that Chris does as an architect, the drawing and the shaping and the finding your place in ministry and all of that, that goes on on a more intimate level. And that's also the place where you're going to make your big goof-ups. Most of you can cruise into a service once a week and cruise out. You look pretty good. You know, you, there's not much opportunity for you to be stupid or to blow it or to do something dumb. So we're like, oh, I love my church and I love everybody in it. Well, of course, we're, we come to that celebration. That's easy. We celebrate. We go home. That's good. But that's not all there is to the body of Christ. It's in, those, it's in those house gatherings, as Giselle opened up the service and gave the personal testimony. It's in those house gatherings where we get down to the nitty-gritty, where we learn, where we start hammering out what do we believe. When we start learning together, the questions come out. And your views, oh, I didn't know that. I always thought this. Well, before we abandon that idea, let's challenge it. What does the word say about this? And that you start growing. And if you're going to be dumb or stupid or do something foolish, you're going to do it in a house gathering. You're going to, you're going to show you know, that side of you that needs a little polishing, a little rubbing. That's going to come out in that intimate fellowship. But that's where we grow. That's where we're built up. That's where those joints are formed. Can you say amen? amen. Now, um, our house gatherings at Faith Christian Church have four simple basic purposes. One is, to do, is, is the house gathering is a what I call a ministry development platform for Faith Christian Church. It is the place, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's the place where you can discover what is my ministry. You do that by growing and learning and fellowshipping on that intimate double. That ministry, that calling will begin to present itself and come forward. Number two. It is the place for follow-up. So-and-so wasn't here on Sunday. How are they doing? I don't know. They haven't been here for the past couple weeks. Those house gatherings are where there's friendships and connections made. You jump, jump on the telephone and say, Hey, Loretta, how you doing? I haven't seen you. What, what's going on? Blah, blah, blah. You get the idea? Follow-up and discipleship of newly saved people. It's a place where the newly saved, those that are young in the Lord, can go and learn. And they're, they're, they soak up like a sponge. They go into the house gatherings. That's where they really learn. Number three, it's also a place where newly saved people are assisted in reaching out and witnessing to their unsaved friends. You know, when people get saved, they're like, oh, you know, I've, I've got these friends. I can't get them to come to church, but I bet I can get them to come to this, this, this house gathering. Those house gatherings are a place where the real growth can happen. The visitors are going to show up at those house meetings because you're going to invite them. They're going to come, and they're going to be able to, to come into a meeting where, where they can participate in what God is doing. They can learn, have questions answered. And it's a place, number four, where intercessory prayer, visitation, and follow-up can happen. The, the follow-up of the body of Christ and keeping track of people and following up on people and reaching out to people happens. It'll happen naturally through those house gatherings. As I said, Terry and Helen Burchard are going to be leading a house gathering out of their home up in Tarpon Springs. And John and Barbara Wilkes 
are going to be their assistants. We've got a, each house guy is going to have a, a group, uh, a couple of assistants. Hallelujah. Um, and they're going to be assisting up there. And um, Terry and Helen in their house gathering, they're going to begin with the topic, the cross of Jesus. They'll be studying the cross of Jesus, how it changes and secures and empowers our lives. That's going to be their first topic they're going to be dealing with up there. Then in Mid-County, Jesse and Aubrey Trimble are going to have, have their house gathering. And Antonio and Kaylee, our youth pastors, are going to be their assistants. And their first topic that they're going to be teaching and focusing in on is the exchanged life. How Jesus indwells you, how you are his home, and how he transforms your life by living in you. Great topic. Hallelujah. And then down in the south part of the county, Chris and Giselle Dunn and their assistants are going to be the Humschilds. Jim and Jerry Humschild are going to be working with them. And uh, their first uh, um, uh, focus is going to be twofold. One is intercessory prayer. They're going to delve into intercessory prayer, teaching it, experiencing it, and uh, walking in it. And then the second is how to present and defend the faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ, in our modern culture. And they're going to be taking a look at how do we effectively read our culture and present the gospel faithfully and accurately and be able to defend it and present it in this world today. So we've got some wonderful things on tap and I want to let you know that beginning on Sunday, January the 17th, for the next three Sundays, the 17th, the 24th, and the 31st, each of these three house gathering leaders are going to get up and take about a brief seven, ten minutes and give you a, a little talk about what their house gathering is going to be like. They're going to expand on what I just mentioned and whet your appetite and share with you a little bit about what's happening. I told them to begin to recruit. Go out among the body and start recruiting people to come to their house gathering and be a part of it. Obviously, I'm encouraging every member of our church, get on board. Get on board. Get in to a house gathering, a house fellowship. Your life will change. I guarantee you. Your life will change. Some of you may have to make a sacrifice, even though it's only two Monday nights a month. That may be a sacrifice for some of you. Um, so you may have to make some sort of change in your schedule or commitment. Some of you may have to just change your priorities. And that's why, and I'm going to finish with this, that's why I'm taking not only this Sunday, but every Sunday between now and the beginning of our house gatherings, and I'm teaching on building up the body of Christ. I'm going to bring a message every single week that deals with why this is so important, why we need to make this a priority in our life, why you should commit to it, and be a part of it. If you want the things that I'm talking about and going to be teaching for the next several weeks, if you want them happening in your life and you want to be a functioning part of the body of Christ, this is the way to do it. Praise the Lord. All right, close your Bible. Let's stand together. The offering. 